At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. What an amazing weekend it's already been. Pastor EJ alluded to it yesterday to have 6,000 guests and visitors come through our uh, campus was incredible. And um, I know we're gonna celebrate next week, but a big shout out uh, to the families who decided they were gonna dress up like the Woodside worship team. Uh, I think you guys know who you are. We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, but uh, impersonating Pastor EJ was the best part of yesterday uh, for me. I also want to say thanks to those of you who are generous to the church because of your generosity. We could do events like we did yesterday or Thanksgiving boxes or Christmas boxes that are making an impact, but also because of your generosity, we're able to support our global partners. And this is a season where I'm going to, on their behalf, ask you to be both faithful and generous over and above because when you give, you're not giving to us as much as you're giving through us to touch the world and make disciples all around the world. One of our global partners from Nepal is with us this morning. Our Daughters International, uh, headed up by our brother Ramesh and his wife, Simjana, are here with us this morning. Can you guys stand? Uh, one of our newest global partners. Praise God for you guys. All the way from Nepal with us this morning. We love you guys. I got a chance to be hosted by them. I went to go visit their work. They're an anti-human trafficking work. Now get this, that annually they rescue girls who are being trafficked. It's about 1,200 girls a year that they're rescuing on the border of uh, Nepal and India. But they're not just rescuing them from the trauma of human trafficking, but they're really giving these girls a passport to a new life. They're being trained in job skills. Many of them are going on to be entrepreneurs. Some going on to be leaders in their community. Each one of them testimonies of life transformation. Now, their U.S. director is our dear sister, Christy Kirschman. Christy, you stand up as well. She is their champion here stateside. We appreciate and love you too, uh, Christy. And uh, we're gonna be partnering with them around what's known as a safe house. Now, many of us have never had to experience a safe house because our life has been relatively safe. Before these girls being rescued, they need a place of restoration. And I got a chance to visit one of their safe houses. It's about 40 girls, if I remember correctly, that are at this safe house. They're uh, being loved on, experiencing community, being discipled and seeing their life transformed. And we wanna help them to uh, develop more of these safe houses. So I wanna pray for them because they're experiencing a lot of persecution from those who don't wanna see this system of trafficking girls girls disrupted, but they're doing it anyway. They're brave for Jesus. Can you extend forth your hands as we pray for them? Father, please strengthen our Daughters International. Please bless their hand. Give them favor even with the government officials and allow them to rescue even more girls in the days to come. And may those daughters there know your love, your power, your grace, and your strength. And may you bolster their 
faith and may they be fearless in the face of persecution, we pray. And may they know that they are loved by their brothers and sisters here in America. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you, friends. Appreciate uh, you. You'll be hearing more about them in the days and months to come. How many thank God for his word? We are in John chapter 15. Now, let me uh, remind you of the setting. This is Holy Week that we're reading, the first Easter week. It's Thursday night. It's the day before Jesus is going to go to the cross on behalf of all of us who have put our faith and trust in him. Now, up until this point, his disciples, his closest companions, had known his physical presence. When they needed direction or guidance or uh, matters of the heart process, he was there with them physically, but now he was getting ready to depart. So what he's been doing this entire chapter and the one previous and the one previous to that and the one we're about to go into is we have been, this, this is a record of his dialogue with them as we have been able to observe him preparing their hearts for the moment of his departure. And up until now, the tone and the texture of their conversation has really centered around, uh, around promises of his love. He says to them, hey, I'm going to go ahead of you and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be with me also. In my father's house are many rooms, spacious dwelling places, and I am going to have you come and be with me. How many look forward to that promise? How many are grateful for that promise? He also promised them that they would not be plucked out of the father's hands, that all those who have put their faith and trust in him, that the enemy would not be able to pluck them out of the Father's hands. How many thank God for that promise? Then he goes on to say that I will not leave you as orphans, but the Father will send the Spirit to indwell inside of you, the paraclete, the, the, the helper, as many of our, our translations translate it. He will come and he will live inside of you. How many thank God for that promise as well? All of these precious promises but then the tone of the night begins to change. And Jesus begins to talk to them about the tough days that lie ahead. And the question, I believe, of the day that rises from the text is this. Have you ever signed up for something that you knew was going to be tough on the front end, but ultimately would be worth it? Anybody ever sign up for something like that? You know, a few weeks ago, I got a chance to, or really last week, I got a chance to stand before you and celebrate our Team Woodside Runners. Give God praise for them. How many thank God for our Team Woodside Runners? Now, running a marathon, I hear, is tough. That's the rumor on the street, is that it is, it is tough to run. And, and you're not running. Your motivation has to be more than that 26.2 sticker that you get to put on your bumper or in the back of your window. When you hear stories from these folks as they are prepared uh, to run, you hear how mentally and physically tough it is. And you walk away at times saying, why in the world would anybody do that? But then when you hear their heart for the orphanages that we support in Thailand and in India, and you hear the why, that they're running so they can raise funds to support these amazing children who need the love of Christ demonstrated to them, you start realizing, yeah, it's tough, but it's worth it. 
You ever talk to somebody who signed up for uh, college and they're, they're going after their degree, maybe their bachelor's, maybe their master's, maybe their doctorate degree, and, and you know that that means you're going to miss weekends and have to read a, t- a ton of books or write papers. You know it's tough, but ultimately it's worth it. You ever talk to a mom who went through labor pains and delivering a baby? They will tell you it's tough, but ultimately it's worth it. Can the lady say an amen? Amen. You ever talk to a parent who's raising a teenager? They will tell you it's tough, but it's worth it. Amen? I only got a few amens. I got mostly (laughs) moans from that one. Marriage is tough but it's worth it. The message today is that following Jesus is tough, friends. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't water it down. But let me tell you, as somebody who has walked with Christ for many years now, it is worth it. Does anybody agree with that? And so Jesus is going to tell them a lot about the opposition they're going to face, and he's going to tell them about the support they'll they'll, they'll receive. And and knowing our opposition and our support will help us to stay on the way. And there's a couple of points that he brings out here. The first one is maybe the toughest. Look at verse number 18 with me of chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before uh, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, it, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would, all, they would not be guilty of sin. But now... They have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. There's one word that continues to repeat itself again and again throughout this particular section. It's an uncomfortable word. It's a harsh word, but Jesus doesn't mince words. He uses it directly, and if you were paying attention, you would know that the word I'm referring to is the word hate. He doesn't say that they're going to dislike you. He doesn't say that they're going to be uneasy with you. He doesn't say that they will not be comfortable with your ethics or your commitment to me. No, he says directly they're going to hate you. That part of what we should expect in the Christian life is that we're going to find ourselves hated by those who hate the words and teachings of Jesus. That we're going to find that a big part of the Christian life is persecution. As a matter of fact, up until now, if you've studied this, what you will find is that Jesus says there's two things that will mark the Christian life. On the one hand, love, the love that we have among one another because of the love we've received from God, that should mark the Christian life. And the other is persecution. That that's going to also mark the Christian life. 
And when you read the book of Acts, which in many ways records the continuing work of Jesus through his followers because of the presence of the Spirit in their lives, what you find is it's marked, its pages are marked by persecution. You only get a few chapters in before you find they're being warned by the religious rulers of their day, hey, don't preach in Jesus' name. And then a few chapters after that, you find them being imprisoned because they broke that law and they decided they are going to preach in Jesus' name because following Jesus is far better than following the world. That, that having God's approval is far better than having men's approval. Only a few chapters after that, you see the first martyr in the Christian faith, Stephen, who's being martyred because of his faithfulness to Jesus. And only a few chapters after that do you find that the persecution is so broad that the believers have to scatter across the world because of the persecution they're experiencing in Jerusalem. But praise God because the Spirit is within them wherever they go. They take the life-giving message of the gospel with them and the world is being changed. Jesus told them that they were going to spread the word to the nations, but... uh, I think little did they understand how that was going to happen, that that was going to happen because of the persecution that they would experience. Over and over again, we're told that we will not be liked because we have chosen to follow him. Look at verse number 19. It tells us, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not the world uh, of the world, but I've chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's as if Jesus is saying that you need to be a little bit uneasy if you're too popular with the world. It's not that they won't appreciate the fact that we care for the poor. It's not that they won't appreciate some of the outreach things that we will do. But because of their lack of relationship with God, what we're going to find is that more often than not, we're going to be on the other side of the ethics of this culture. That there are going to be many times when we will encounter moments where our allegiance to Jesus is going to put us on the opposite side of this this culture. There are going to be times when we will have to stand for Christ even though the world may be standing opposed to his teaching. And the question will arise, is following Christ worth it? Let me ask that question of you. How many have come to the conclusion in their heart that following Christ is worth it? That what we gain in Jesus is greater than anything that the world will offer us? I want you to see this in Matthew's gospel. Keep your finger there, but go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 24. When you're there, say a big amen. Matthew's gospel chapter 16 verse 24 reads as this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought that suffering was uh, only for you. I thought that cross was reserved for you. And he says, yeah, the cross is reserved for me and that I will purchase your redemption through that. And it's faith in me and that sacrifice that ultimately affords you forgiveness in a relationship with the Father. But I'm also gonna ask you as you follow me to be willing to suffer so that others might experience the love of the Father. This isn't a popular message. I don't expect a whole lot of amens. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you, if I was transparent, I would say there are certain passages that preachers try to negotiate with God and say, is there anything else I can preach this week? But because of our commitment and our approach to preaching, which is line by line, verse by verse, through chapters of the Bible, we don't get to cherry pick. So that means, and this should be reassuring to you, that I don't get a chance to stand up here and just preach what what people uh, deem to be popular or what itching ears want to hear. We're committed to preaching the whole counsel of God. And when you do that, sometimes the sermon isn't about dessert. Sometimes it's about broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. But that stuff helps you to grow, and it builds spiritual muscles. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may know that name. There's a quote I want to read to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Christ follower in Germany during World War II. He was told by the Hitler regime and others to deny his faith in Christ, but he refused to do that. And oh, by the way, that's been part of the hallmark of the Christians. You know, in the first century, to be a a follower of Christ meant meant that you declare publicly that Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. Imagine where that puts you socially. Imagine where it puts you socially when you said, hey, the Greek pantheon of gods are not really gods at all. They're only idols. There's only one God, Yahweh, and only one mediator between God and man, Jesus, and only one way to salvation, faith in him alone. So that meant that most of the social gatherings that were tied to idols, you couldn't participate in. So that made you socially a pariah, that you, you, you were a social outcast. So here Dietrich Bonhoeffer, fast forward, is in Germany, World War II, and he refused, re- refuses rather to bow his knee to Hitler And he writes these words. He ends up ultimately losing his life, by the way. 1945, the end of World War II in a concentration camp. But before he died, he wrote these words. Suffering is the badge of the true Christian. Later on, he goes on to say, discipleship means allegiance to a suffering Christ. So it should not be surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer for Christ. Shouldn't be a surprise to us. But sadly it is because so often preachers like myself have been guilty of giving you a sales pitch that doesn't include the words of Jesus recorded here. Now I asked you earlier how many of you have signed up for something that you knew would be tough on the front end but ultimately worth it and many of you raised your hands. But let me just ask you, How many appreciate on the front end of those decisions when somebody is a straight talker and tells you how tough it's going to be up front? How many appreciate that? Now, some of you 
didn't raise your hand, and I'm not surprised at that because some of you say, I'd rather be lied to. <laughs> like, lie to me and tell me it's going to be easy. But I, but I appreciate when somebody is honest with me and says to me on the front end, this is going to be hard. Because I don't want you to wilt or be surprised when you reach the tough parts. Because in the end, it will ultimately be worth it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying to them, I love you so much and know that I am going to be with you. I'm going to be your intercessor. The Father's love will be your strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you through this. But please know that it is going to be tough. And by the way, these are the conversations we need to be having with our kids as well. Hopefully we're not raising up a generation of fair-weathered Christians who can only follow Christ as long as they have likes and followers. You know, the first time I really experienced this was when I went away to college. I was a youth ministry kid. You know, I was raised in the church. We went to church on Sunday, and then midweek we gathered together with other uh, kids, our our generation that that loved Jesus, and that was kind of my my bubble, my cocoon. And then I went away to a college that was not a Christian school, and it was like the first week of college when I discovered that there's a whole lot of partying going on here, and there's a whole lot of opportunities for me to sin here. There's a whole lot of opportunities to get drunk. There's a whole lot of opportunities to get high. There's a whole lot of opportunities for sexual immorality. It was all around. And it was tough as a young man in that environment for the first time having this type of pressure put on me. Hey, come be with us. Come, come, come live this way with us. Having to decide in that moment Man, am I going to live for Christ and am I not going to live for Christ? And one of the graces that God gave me that I believe that God was, was giving to this group here that we're reading about was community. And I praise God in those days. I don't know how, how life or my trajectory would have turned out if I hadn't had believers in my corner who were loving me, creating community for me to stand. And, and what Jesus has been saying to them this whole night is love one another as I have loved you. And it's as if he's saying to them, listen, you're not going to get the love and the support of the culture that you're looking, looking to or needing, but what you will get is love from the community. And my prayer for us is that the love you receive here, that the love you receive from other believers will be so, so, um, so deep, so soul quenching, so uh, uh, nourishing that it will strengthen you so that when we go out into the world and we experience the persecution that comes with standing for Christ, that we will be strong in those moments. I pray that we will love each other well because the days are going to come and we're already in it, but we will experience a tremendous amount of persecution and dare I even use the word of Jesus, hate because we stand for Jesus. That's why we shouldn't be surprised when we read news reports where teachers are being fired because they gave a Bible to a student who needed it. Or coaches are 
losing their jobs because they decide to go out to the 50-yard line before a game and pray. Or CEOs are being fired because some donation to a ministry or organization is uncovered that believes that traditional marriage is the right definition. Or that men and women were created in a binary way. Or that biology is right. We, we shouldn't be surprised when our adult children seem to push us away because we've decided that the sexual ethics of this culture currently are not right. Or we're persecuted by the broader culture and call haters of women because we simply say that while we affirm the dignity of women, we also believe that children are worthy of protection in the womb. We shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves on the opposite side of the ethics of the culture. But I will tell you, the very ones that persecute you will ultimately, many of them, come to thank you for standing for Christ. Because on the other side of your obedience will not only mean your salvation, but the salvation of many because you have stood for Christ in the face of persecution. So don't wilt, don't turn back because Jesus, my friend, is worth it. I remember, I remember years ago sitting across a lunch table from a good friend of mine who's a Messianic Jew. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Messianic Jew is, it is, um, it is an unpopular category of being a Jew who believes in Jesus, which in, in Jewish culture is uh, the pathway to, to persecution and, and excommunication often from your family. But this, this brother in Christ um, had chosen to follow Jesus. And I remember him asking me a question. He says, Chris, what's a good number of conversions for your church in a year? And at the time, the answer I gave him was about 100. We see about 100 people make decisions for Christ in a year. And so I reciprocated the question. I asked him, what's a good number of conversions for, for you guys in a year? And his response was about three or four. And I remember asking him why. And he says, because when you are a Jew and you have uh, uh, put your faith in Jesus, it breaks your family's heart. It, it, it oftentimes... Uh, angers or enrages your community, you're persecuted, it hurts you socially. And I remember asking him a foolish question as I look back on it, but in the moment, it was a real question in my heart. How then do you share the gospel in that environment? And he looked back at me like, Chris, you should know the answer to this. It's because we believe that Jesus is worth following. We believe that, that, that Christ is a gift, that the cross is a treasure, that a relationship with God has eternal value, that what we gain in Christ by way of grace and mercy and salvation is far greater than anything that this world has to offer us. We really believe that. We really believe the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. We really believe that a relationship with him it's far greater than any persecution we'll ever experience. So we happily share the gospel and invite others to follow Jesus. My friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that with all of your heart? 
Because the moment will come, and maybe it's not today, maybe it's not tomorrow, but the moment will come where that will be tested in your life. And so know this, those who hate Jesus will persecute you. Those who hate Jesus will persecute us. They were haters of Jesus and they will hate us too. So the question arises though, really quickly, how should we treat those who persecute us? How should we respond to those who mistreat us? Well, there's a lot I could say, but let's look at Jesus' word again. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. We'll start. How should we treat those who persecute us? Well, the answer is here. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How many of us still live that way? Man, I'm going to love those who treat me right, but you better watch out if you treat me wrong. How many can uh, easily resort back to your BC days before Christ? Verse number 44, Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your father is perfect. Listen to what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you to be confused. He's saying, listen, you're going to be mistreated. But remember, our movement is not known for hate. That's what others who don't know me are known for. Our movement is known for love. And so here's what you're going to do. You're going to love them. I've told you before, and many of you have heard me share this story of the conversion of my, my good friend, Abdu Murray. He was raised as a devout Muslim. He was a hater of Christians. He will tell you this. He tried his best to embarrass them, belittle them, and shame them. Whenever a Christian came across his path who tried to share their faith with them, he tried to expose how unlearned they were and tried to belittle them. And then one day, while he was at college, a couple Christian missionaries came to his door Knocked on his door. They shared their faith. He did what he normally does. He mocked them. He ridiculed them. He told them, hey, you don't even know these things from your history. Tried to expose their foolishness. And you know what they did? They went back, studied a little bit, came back the next week. And you know what they did? They came back the following week. And they kept coming back. This went on for about a year. And then finally, my friend Abdu thought to himself, why are they being so patient with me? I'm being a jerk to them, I'm mistreating them, but they're still loving me. And you know, that's a convicting question. It causes me to ask myself, Chris, is anybody asking that of you? Is anybody asking why is Chris being so loving, so patient, and so kind to me after how I treated him? Is there anybody who's wondering why you're being so compassionate after how they've behaved? Is there anybody who's asking why are you being so patient with them? We're not to return hate for hate, but love for hate. 
And we don't love them because they're Christians. We love them because we're Christians. He goes on to say, and I'm running out of time, so I'll be quick. He goes on to say, while those who hate Jesus will persecute you, the helper will help you. Look at what he says in verse number 26. I love this. These words are so powerful. But when the helper comes, man, I could preach that in the, for a whole hour. Help is on the way. The helper's coming. You're not by yourself. You may be, feel overwhelmed and beat down. How many grew up as WWF fans? I know it's WWE now, but how many grew up as WWF fans? Know what I'm talking about, right? Amen. And uh, my favorite type of wrestling message was those tag team wrestling mas- matches where somebody be in the ring, they're getting beat down, right? And then they stumble over to the corner. I knew it was all fake, so don't think I was fooled. But they stumble over to the corner and they tag their tag team partner and the tag team partner comes in and the tide is turned and they got help. It's in many ways Jesus is saying, you might be in the ring and you might feel like you're getting beat down, but help is on the way. Your tag team partner, the Holy Spirit, is going to come in and he's going to give you strength and he's going to help you to fight against the lies of the enemy and ultimately you will stand. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's what the Spirit does. He bears witness about Jesus. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And that's what those early followers of Jesus did. They bore witness, and that's what we have in our hand, their witness written for our account so that we might have faith in him. And then he goes on to tell them why he's saying these things. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Listen, he says to you, you're going to experience persecution, prosecution, execution at the hands of the world. But understand why they're doing it. And this is key. This is so key. Understand they're doing it because they don't know me. If they knew me, they wouldn't do this. And I know, I know for us, we have the opposite way of thinking. Here's how we think. We think this way. They're doing it and they know what they're doing. But Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We got to remain in the posture of saying, God, maybe the way I respond to the persecution might be the very thing that leads them to faith. But Jesus closes with these words. I'm telling you these things so that when they come, you don't stumble, you don't fall. I'm giving you a heads up. It's gonna come, it's gonna be tough, but keep running. You're in a marathon. Just keep putting one foot ahead of the other because you're gonna cross that finish line. And when you cross that finish line, how many runners in here can say, it'll be worth it? 
How many believe that? How many moms, how many moms say, hey, you're gonna experience those labor pains, but when that baby comes and they lay that precious one on your chest, how many moms can say, it'll be worth it, right? How many parents are on the other side of the teenage years and your kids now are actually humans again, no longer aliens? And how many parents can say, it's worth it? Just hang in there in those tough years, right? How many survived, how many married couples survived those early tough years of marriage and now you don't even sweat the small stuff anymore and you look back at those young couples and you say, hang in there, it'll be worth it, right? Well, as Jesus followers, I want to say to you today, there will be tough moments. Hang in there, friends, because following Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth following. How many believe that with all of your heart? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.